I vividly remember the first time I saw Celine Gittens on stage. It was at Sadler's Wells in London, the final of the Genet, the Royal Academy of Dance's international ballet competition. The ultimate challenge in the final is performing something from one of ballet's core classics. Celine chose a solo from Giselle. Giselle's story ends in tragedy. That's how ballet rolls. But in that early solo, she's secure in her joy, and so was Celine. Her serenity and clarity were irresistible. No wonder the judges gave her the gold medal, and the rest of us voted for her to get the audience award. She was already on her way. I'm David Jays, and Celine Giddens is my guest on Why Dance Matters, the Royal Academy of Dance podcast about the way dance can inspire, infuse and give us meaning. Celine has been an inspiration herself. Born in Trinidad and moving to Canada, after her Genet success, she joined Birmingham Royal Ballet, where she's now a principal. In 2012, she became the first woman of colour ever in the UK to dance the iconic lead role in Swan Lake. Celine's RAD ballet teacher was also her mum. How did they negotiate that potentially fraught dynamic? And I want to hear about Celine's lockdown. She was busy, including coaching for the same RAD competition, now called the Fontaine, in which she made her name. You know what they say about swans, apparently unruffled, but a frantic churn beneath the surface. Is that Celine? Let's find out. Celine, thank you so much for joining us on Why Dance Matters. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I have really clear memories of you from the RAD's Genet competition at Sadler's Wells in 2005, I think. Yes. And as soon as I saw you on stage, I knew how I would be voting in the Audience Choice <laughs> Award. <laughs> and obviously I wasn't alone in that because you won it. But what are your memories of that night? Uh, amazing. Sadler's Wells Theatre, that is pretty much a home theatre for Birmingham Royal Ballet. To have that sort of a full circle in a way from pre-professional to professional and also then the added excitement of being a principal going back to that stage. It's just been really, really wonderful. And even going into the competition, for me, it wasn't about really winning I mean I didn't really know what to expect and if you think about this in 2005 social media wasn't as established as it is nowadays um so 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 we didn't actually have that much access to videos or to see what the competition maybe is like and it was probably based on word of mouth or what we read from the dance magazines the dance gazette so it was really nice in a way to go to the competition with an open mind and just go there and do my best but having that added reward of winning the competition was absolutely amazing and I think that I clearly right now I'm actually thinking about the awards ceremony for the finals on stage and we were all in a semicircle 
on the Sadler's Well stage and in our costume, we had just done our classical variation and mine was Giselle Act One variation. And I clearly remember this. And I know now because I go to that theater so often, but it's a very dark theater in the sense that you can't see the audience you know you can't see even a reflection from someone's glasses all you can see really is a spotlight and I happen to be standing in the center back center of this semicircle when they were reading off the awards I just kept on going oh well my I haven't heard my name (laughs) been called and they're going through they're going through bronze and then silver and I'm like well you know I've always known that a gold medal is so hard to achieve. And I was just like, oh, well, you know, I had a really good time. And I'd been to London once before, but I hadn't gone around and seen the sights as I did in 2005. So it was a really lovely trip as well with my mom. And she she came with me. And I just was was thinking, that's that's okay. And and then they went, oh, and the gold medal <laughs> um, is the Celine Gittins. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Okay. It was Dame Beryl Gray at uh awarded me and and gave me the award and it's just interesting that that those are the things that you see like you remember your like the sights and I remember just seeing a a black audience that's how the theater is and it's really dark and actually for dancing that's really really nice sometimes and then all I could see was that spotlight in the middle in the center glowing it was really incredible and I think that's that's one of the things that has helped me going into a company is having that opportunity to perform on a world-class stage. And I think that's, you know, that is something that's so important. I think performance and the ability to manage a, a highly stressful performance atmosphere, it's quite a hard thing, especially when you're young, to sort of manage that stress and everything. So it was a really good experience for that aspect the psychological aspect of it to experience that but yeah honestly I have such good memories of the competition and I think the atmosphere that was built around the competition from day one was just of friendliness and it was pleasant and everyone was just really relaxed I don't know if it's because it was the summertime where (laughs) (laughs) we're in London where it's this is exactly yeah (laughs) I mean and I think that was probably one of the hottest summers London saw for a a long time so yeah so it was really good yeah (laughs) but it's interesting you mentioned that psychological aspect because my real sense of you at that time and actually seeing you since on stage is you have a real sense of composure and then you bring the intensity (laughs) of the role and of the of the the dance but there's a I mean I I always feel like we're in really safe hands and then you're going to you know jump to that other level that you need to in those demanding roles but is that Mm. I don't know are you just faking it is I suppose what I'm asking Celine (laughs) That's an interesting thing, faking it, because I had that experience when I debuted Diana and Sylvia in David Mintley Sylvia, and I did a triple pirouette on the dawn, triple pirouette, which wasn't supposed to be choreographed, but I did three pirouettes on the dawn, and I remember our ballet mistress said, oh, you know, was that a fluke? Did you just fake it? And then I thought, no, actually, for me, (laughs) it's not my sort of mantra is that Practice, practice, practice. And I know that that's that's a common statement. Practice makes perfect, but it actually really does. And with practice, the more that you do things, the more it's in your muscle memory, the less you have a fear of doing steps. It washes away those technical 
mistakes that could happen. And also you need to practice correctly because if you keep on practicing incorrectly, that's another problem. So always be open to advice and constructive criticism from your colleagues or you know teachers or anything like that so for me I think it's practice makes perfect yeah so you don't have to think oh there's a tricky bit coming up oh I must remember that you don't let that get in the way of the actual performance exactly and I know that there's always some ballet that has a sticky bit and then you you know and you go oh here it is here it's coming but if you think of practicing things in connecting them together rather than separating them. That's what works. So if you, for example, if there's a tricky pirouette that's coming up, practice the pirouette separately, but then join it up. So join up what happens before and then the pirouette and then what happens after. So you make it like a sentence. <laughs> I, I love that. I mean, I love that that sense of all the thinking you have to do in advance so that you don't do it on the night, as it were. Yeah, I think that's, I think exactly. That's so interesting. You were born in Trinidad, you moved to Canada when you were nine. And of course, your mother, Janet, is an RAD teacher. So I'm guessing dance was always in your life from the very beginning. Yeah, it has been. I mean, I've grown up, I've actually grown up with dance, with classical music and this wonderful art form. And I have actually, and this is, you know, I feel quite proud to say this, I've grown up with the Royal Academy of Dance. (laughs) It's so funny, my mother-in-law, actually, she was going through all of these dance gazettes and dance magazines that she keeps. And she found a photo of myself, my brother, and my mom. And we won a postcard competition. (laughs) Yeah, and this was I honestly, I think this was probably in 1995. We won this competition. My brother, he won first place. And I think I I was a runner up or something like that. There's a photo of us in, and it's in the RAD magazine. And since then, so that was my first, first time I was in the magazine. But yeah, so I have um, basically grown up with the Royal Academy of Dance. I did my first examination. I think it was pre-primary. I think I was four years old. And Prudence Bowen was a teacher in Australia. She was well, she, examiner. She came to Trinidad to do that examination and she told my mom well I I want to take her back to Australia and I want to train her and my mom said oh we're so flattered but I think she's too young to go wow oh my gosh. <gasps> yeah. she was serious and I guess that I you know I think about it now and at four years old what is it that you can see that tells you that this girl is going to become a good dancer or probably have a career maybe in dance. And and she obviously saw something and wanted to work with it and wanted me to succeed. From that point, my mom, maybe, I think that she always thought I had a, maybe a natural inclination to dancing. But I think from then, when there was a interest shown, that gave her, you know, even more confidence that, oh, well, maybe something can happen, in, you know, later on. And yeah. Right. And I mean, you know, learning ballet with your mum, it could be for some people a recipe for disaster. <laughs> Clearly not in your case. Yeah. But did she find a different dynamic for the student teacher relationship than she did for the mother daughter one? Or was it kind <laughs> of, you know, were there different, different sort of hats on, as it were? Yeah. And it's interesting because as a 
child, you don't really think about those things. But only when you maybe a teenager that you start thinking about those things, that sort of dynamic a bit more. So because it was from such a young age, I think that it just sort of carried through organically. <laughs> it didn't really have a divide. And I think that because I knew that she wanted the best for me, that it wasn't really sort of different hats as you said yeah I don't think it was like that it's been really such a blessing to have that and especially in the company when I joined the company the teacher well, I was gonna say teacher student the teacher dancer dynamic is changed from when you're a student they're not as in control of you as when you're a student so when you're a professional that you're a bit more independent and this is your career and you know you take say wherever um, which way you want to go and how you want to do that it's been really nice to have my mom to sort of bounce ideas and and I send her videos and and she can still help me out you know and and that's really nice to have another eye watching me absolutely yeah. and can she say things in a way that that perhaps my mother, when she says something exactly. particularly upsetting, will then say, no one yeah. else will tell you this. <laughs> and, exactly. Um, which is fair enough, I guess. And, and yeah. Is that the case as yeah. well? That is absolutely the case. And I think that the mindset of a dancer in this career, you need to be open. And that is so important because you need to have that criticism and accept it as that it's not trying to put you down but it's trying to make you better and and what your teacher is seeing maybe you can't see even in a video maybe you can't see it and I I do actually I do support videoing yourself to to see technically what's going on and yeah moving forward again after the Jeanne you're snapped up by Birmingham Royal Ballet and now of course you're a principal dancer there and you've done so many iconic roles. And I'm thinking about something like Swan Lake, where you have to be achingly expressive and virtuosically dazzling, and you have to carry a heartbreaking love story for an evening. So I'm wondering, on a performance night, how do you get your head into the right space for all of that? Swan Lake is a very good example of that, where you need to carry through that same feeling from Act 1 straight through to Act 4. It is difficult. And I only last year, last January, we did Swan Lake again with Birmingham Royal Ballet. We had where well, we were supposed to have a six-week tour, which got short by three weeks <laughs> because of COVID. Only then I thought personally that I mastered, I mastered it and I got it. And it's not to say that before I didn't get it and I didn't have that expression and interpretation, but it just felt so much more natural. And I think that's the thing with this career is that you think that you have perfected it in just one go or one shot at it, you know, one performance season of it. Yeah. But it's not really because the first time you do something, that's just the tip of the iceberg. And then, you know, it's after years and years and years and years of doing it that you actually get it. And then from there, you've made it your own. So I debuted Odette Adil in 2012. Yeah. That was a huge moment for me because that was the biggest classical ballet principal role that I did for the company. So it was a huge moment in my career. And I obviously I wanted to get it right. And um, 
not look like a novice, you know, not look like I didn't know what I was doing. So I did a lot of research beforehand and throughout the rehearsal process. One of my biggest inspirations, and this is for inspiration in terms of interpretation and feeling and the quality, was Evelyn Hart. And she was a principal dancer with the Royal Winnipeg Ballet in Canada. And this is a video, actually, I think it's on YouTube at the moment. And she was with the London Festival Ballet doing Swan Lake. And so that video really has been on repeat. It was on repeat for me. You know? <laughs> and the way that she made the Odette and Odile so different, which is supposed to be, even though it's the same dancer, it was so inspirational for me. And it is hard to do that. But I think once you make a story in your mind and everything that you do, there needs to be a reason and a purpose for it. Every step that you take and every emotion that you make I'm rhyming. <laughs> every step that you take, um, yeah, every step that you take, every emotion that you make, it needs a meaning in that way. Once you have, have the meaning and once you understand why you're doing it, then the audience understands it. If you don't know why you're doing it, there's 100% chance that you're not relaying it across to the audience properly and they won't have a clue what's going on so yeah so that's how I sort of approach that and that's nice because as well when you can come back to a role it can grow with you and you can grow with it because you're not the same person you were in 2012 are you exactly exactly so you know there's a whole obviously the whole mindset of soloist and you're really trying to show yourself prove yourself to the director um to the other dancers you know there's a lot of pressure actually I was quite young I was 23 there are external pressures and I think that that has been released becoming a principal you feel more confident in yourself and you feel that you have now a lot of experience of performing especially in those tricky classical roles where you're so exposed and the other thing of course that was going on in 2012 when you made your debut is that you were the first ballerina of colour in the UK Mm -hmm. to dance that role to dance Odetta Deal I mean it was such a landmark moment what did that mean to you when you were already dealing with all the other pressures that you might be putting on yourself when you step into that role what what was that moment like yeah I think that moment actually was great for Birmingham Royal Ballet as a company putting it on the map a little bit and I always think that we don't do enough in our company to say that we are such a diverse company yeah And I think it's something like maybe I think it's 80% of our principal dancers are from different parts of the world and they're of diverse backgrounds. And that's really amazing. And that's a really wonderful role model for other dancers who want to maybe think of ballet or even dance as something to to join or even to make it a career or an interest. So I think that that moment was wonderful for Birmingham Royal Ballet as a company, you know, sort of setting the example and, you know, and just saying that this is possible and it is possible. Yeah, because, I mean, as we know, it's 10 years on and ballet is still struggling with its culture. And and there must be young dancers who would look at the roster of leading companies worldwide and wonder if there was a place for them in ballet. What would you say to that talented young dancer of colour. Oh, definitely there is a place. And I think a lot of this, I think that we need to educate 
I think that that's one of the things is the education side of it and reaching out to those communities and what actually Birmingham Royal Ballet have been doing this for I think it's 20 years now the education department they have a dance track program and they go to schools elementary schools in in the local area in Birmingham they look for kids who are interested in dance or maybe have an inclination for dance or music and they they offer them a place in their dance track program and I think it's one class a week that they do and they give free tights, leotards, shoes, dance shoes. So they have the whole dance kit <laughs> is free. Right. Um, and I think it's a wonderful program that they started. And that is how we are doing our bit to educate Birmingham as a city about ballet, about dance and classical music and music. And I think it's a wonderful program. And actually, Quite a lot of dancers from the dance track program have made it into Elmhurst Ballet School. They've made it into Royal Ballet School. It's really wonderful, oh, actually, amazing. if you think about it. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to take you back to Swans somewhat. Sure. <laughs> Inescapably, because when yeah. lockdown began... You and Birmingham Royal Ballet were pretty quick off the mark and you filmed a really uplifting version of the Dying Swan solo. Yes. In your own home. And I, and it's just fantastic because it, it begins with you kind of pattering past the radiator and the pot plant. Yeah. <laughs> I, I cannot yeah. imagine what that must have been like. <laughs> I know. It was actually the word that just jumps to mind as emotional. It was an emotional time. And it was because of the uncertainty, because that performing is my livelihood and the livelihood of the dancers at BRB. That's what we do. It was that uncertainty that caused all of those emotions. And for myself, that I think the first time I recorded it, I got my husband to to film it and I actually burst into tears. And I think this is so, you know, it's kind of wow. a bit funny to say this now, but I think that it's only in that moment that you realized how much this virus is going to affect everything that you had, right? And everything that was so easily accessible, everything that you were working towards and then now couldn't accomplish it or couldn't do it just because of the restrictions and all of that were put in place. And, you know, it felt like we were kind of like a bit trapped, you know, yeah, trapped sure. in our homes, but for the better, obviously trapped in our homes for the better. And it was a sad moment because of the arts not being able to be there anymore in people's lives. And I know a lot of people probably think like, oh, what are the arts? Do we even need it? We do need it. A society needs it. A community needs it. The whole world needs it. And that's the way that people become creative. You can't have a society that's living in a box, you know, with four blank walls, there needs to be some color, there needs to be some inspiration, some motivation. And it all comes from art and dance, music, that's culture and that that's what we need. So filming this one, it happened, yeah, as you said, very quickly, we were on it. Carlos was on it. Carlos, we should say, is Carlos Acosta, the company's artistic director. Yes. And I got a phone call, I think, in the evening, Saturday evening. And he asked me if I've ever done The Dying Swan before. And I said, no. He said, okay, well, can you learn this version on YouTube? I said, yep. And then <laughs> and then he said, we've already got 
the musicians are already practicing and can you film it on Monday? So I had Sunday to practice and then we filmed it on Monday. And in that time, we were thinking, oh, do you have a white tutu at home? And actually, I had a practice tutu weirdly. And then oh he said, okay, yeah, he said, no, that's not going to work. We're going to get you a tutu from BRB, Birmingham Mobile. And it just so happens that my tutu wasn't the company because they were on tour oh um, so who knows where my tutu was because we have everything in our trucks they're massive trucks that take our sets costumes and everything even washing machines everything um so who knows where our trucks ended up <laughs> you know because our tour ended abruptly in sunderland they located a Odette costume for me. Actually, it was Delia Matthews' costume. And I wore that and the headdress. And someone came to my house and dropped it off. We disinfected it, sprayed it, everything. And yeah, and then we filmed it. And um, just trying to make as much of a space as possible to dance in. Yeah, yeah as you said, the plant pot doing my cruise across, you know, in a little semicircle. And that was actually even before we were given dance floors by the company. So I was dancing on a wood floor that was not supposed to be danced on. Right. <laughs> I also realised, and I don't think I'd quite realised this until I saw the film, how tall you are when you're yeah. on point and you've got your arms raised. I suddenly thought, wow, that door looks too small. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, I had to obviously do everything underneath myself and the expanse that you're supposed to do that in wasn't there. So Carlos changed the ending to be more for hope and yeah. a positive ending. And obviously... We all know the ending of The Dying Swan. Um, <laughs> the clue so is in the yeah. title, isn't it, really? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it was more of an inspirational and, as you said, uplifting. It was meant to be positive and uplifting and something for our audiences, our home audiences, to have with them and as well for the world to see. Also, with COVID, it's brought about the idea of an online dance community. And for those dancers who were just about to enter companies. Of course. So yes. that's, yeah, that's really affected people's hopes and dreams of what they were trying to achieve. And I feel so bad for people who have decided to end their career or it was going to end anyway. It's something that actually we all as dancers, performers think of our last performance, what it's going to be, what it's going to be like, what are our feelings going to be like. We're going to invite all our friends and past dancers to come and, and to celebrate with us. And that just wasn't possible. And you were also involved in the RAD's at home programme and, which is nice, you've come full circle in a way because you've been a coach for the RAD's Fontaine competition, which is what the Jeune is now called. And those sessions were online, obviously. So how tricky was that when you can't get a sense of the person in a shared physical space? You know, actually, I think for one-to-one -one coaching, it actually is very good. And you actually see more because they're right in front of you. You can see the whole body as one. It's it's a weird thing to, to say it, but actually, I think that you can see more. I really enjoyed it. I had started the uh, lockdown with private coaching for some of my mom's ballet students and and they really enjoyed it and we figured out how to do the camera just to make sure that we 
get the feet in, the head in, <laughs> the arms in, you know, so that we can have a very effective coaching session. So I was used to doing that anyway from last year. So that was, yeah, that was a really nice experience. And then carrying through to the competition, it was so nice to see people actually from around the world. I mean, I was coaching people from Mexico, Canada, from right here in the UK. I had Spain, I had Germany, you know, like, this is just amazing. And yeah, all of these dancers are training and rehearsing for the same thing that, that was their focus. And unfortunately, the competition didn't happen last year. So I'm so happy that they were given this opportunity to have that online coaching and one to one, which is really invaluable, I think. Yeah. yeah. And it's probably unlikely in the way that these competitions are normally run that you would get that one-to-one moment with a leading principal dancer. And so that's quite exciting. Did you find that you've been channeling your mother's approach from all those years ago? Was that sort of voice within you ready to come out? Yeah, definitely. It's, It's funny that you say that because her students actually say that I sound like her and <laughs> you know, and I think it's the way that we make our corrections and we make it how do I say like we use a lot of artistry in a way so we imagination so if I'm saying to do a Ron Verse and bend over I always say something like a koi fish they usually do a little bend it's using visuals to help the dancer understand exactly what you're trying to achieve this is one I use a lot when your arm is in second position that you don't want it too high but you want it just under your shoulder so that the water is trickling down the arm so we use those sort of little bits of visual information which actually I think really helps the dancer it helps me when I'm dancing as well to understand the requirement of the step or the look that it's supposed to to get and it's a descriptive thing rather than turn out point your toe okay so how do I point my toe you know I can point it like a dagger there's different sort of feelings and that will give even more of a an inspiration to the dancer Celine there are a million more things I want to ask yeah. you but I, <laughs> but I will I promise stop and let you go but I can't do that before I ask the last question which is why does dance matter to you dance matters so much to me because it is a form of expressing yourself through movement It is a form of expressing yourself through music as well. You can dance without music, with music, and it still gives that expression. It still, it gets rid of whatever stress you have. And I honestly would advise people, dance around your house, dance wherever you feel, if you don't want to be watched, if you don't want an audience, dance where you feel comfortable whatever dance you want to do with whatever way you want to express yourself do that because even movement it's just movement that makes you feel so much better I think it really lifts your mood it really changes your outlook and helps you your body to process things and I think even I do this a lot just dance in the kitchen and while you're cooking you know with the you know the stirring spoon you know use a stirring spoon as a a prop or something (laughs) and just you know just express yourself that way there is just something that that is creative that is sparked when you dance and move and yeah I think this is necessary for 
communities. I think it's important for the world to to remember that. Like I just said earlier, that it's it's vital. I think it's it's such a an important part of our communities that we need to hold on to and not forget about. It promotes understanding. It helps people to to be professional, you know, dance. It creates this feeling of empathy and also community, which is what we need right at this moment of COVID. And, you know, it's that sense of community helping each other out. And I just feel that, yeah, dance, it sparks that. We're going to go off and dance all around our kitchens. But thank you <laughs> so much. That's just been really fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and and just dance. That's just dance. <laughs> See you tomorrow. <laughs> I'll be honest, the idea of being taught by my parents sounds like a potential nightmare to me. It's probably even less appealing to them. But learning ballet with her mum seems to have given Celine a support and confidence that sustains her today. And it's lovely to hear how she's taking those lessons and passing them forward to other young dancers. Do let me know if anything we've talked about today resonates with you. I'm at Mr. David Jays on Twitter, and the RAD is at RAD Headquarters. Our show notes include links to the RAD's Fontaine competition and to Celine's lockdown swan film. Our guest today was Celine Gittens. Why Dance Matters is made by the RAD team of Hayley Izzard, Celia Moran, and Melanie Murphy. Our artwork is by Bex Glendinning. And our unruffled swan queen is our producer, Sarah Miles. I'm David Jays. Take care and see you soon.